0: It's interesting when you catch a fish, it's on the line, it's taken the bait, but you haven't seen it yet. You may not know exactly what fish is on the other end, but you do have a pretty good idea of how big it is. And you know that not without, without seeing it because you know how the fish strikes the line and how your pole bends. Uh, one of the first fish I ever caught in my life was in the prime fishing ground of the strip mines of central Illinois, which is where everybody should fish, and I was just a little kid, and that's all we had to fish in were the strip mines, and my dad had handed me a cane pole, and the line on it was what they used for chalk lines, you know, and we threw a worm in, and the next thing I knew, this cane pole was bent in a U-shape. And in this little bitty strip mine pond, I had caught a catfish that was over a yard long. And I knew right then, I had a big fish. I didn't know what was on the other end, but there was no doubt in my mind, I had a big fish, and I didn't even have to see it yet. Well, God's that way. I put on the screen, how big is your God? Well, in some ways, we haven't seen God, so how do you answer that? How big is your God? Well, it's sort of like the fish. You have to look at what you know about him, what you see, how the pole bends. And the more we learn about God and what he does, and and we watch him work and we hear about him, then our God gets bigger. And that's sort of, in a sense, what we're going to talk about today. And in a way, God tells us that we should do it this way. But that's how we learn how big God is. Turn over with me, if you would, to Psalm 46. I just want to read four verses there. Three. Oh, four. David David encourages us here. He says, come and see what God has done. Because that's how we learn how big God is. Can I go back through those lines for just a second? Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. God destroys anything that stands in his way. God is going to move. God is going to work in anything that tries to be a wall to him. He demolishes it. He brings desolation in anything that stands against him. The mightiest armies cannot stop him all their weapons that they think give them all their strength, God just destroys them. Because God is going to do what he's going to do. And nothing can stop him. And so David says, stop all your fretting and stop all your doing. Stand and watch God. Because it's in watching him and what he does that you'll come to understand how big God is. And when you understand how big God is, then you will find the ultimate reassurance. This God is with us. This God is our fortress. We want to do some of that today. So my question comes back to you, how big is your God? When you see God, when you think of God, how big and mighty do you see God to be? Well if you only look in one place, if you only look in one life, one family, one church, one city, it might be possible to see God as relatively small. Because we don't always see a lot going on in any given week, in any given month, even in any given year in one place. And that's one of the benefits of being a church That is involved with God around the world through missions. That has a map on the sanctuary wall with stickers on it of missionaries we are working with around the world. Because in the process we get to see how big God is from a bigger perspective. We get to hear of not only how he's working here in Andover or in this church. But how he's working in other continents and other nations and other churches. And as we see and hear of that, our God gets bigger. Not just the God over there, but the God here who works with us. This year we've uh, been blessed to have people from ACC in India, in Eastern Europe, and still in China, even today. And so the four of us who have just returned From our little piece of the world, we would like to give you a little feedback of what we saw and what we learned. To see how big your God is and how great our God is. Four of us just returned Friday night from Vienna, Austria, where we were working at a place called Haus Edelweiss. It's an old Austrian inn in the country outside of Vienna that was actually built in the late 1800s. And it's been purchased by a mission and restored into a beautiful complex of, let's see, I counted up. I think there are seven buildings at the north end of that little horseshoe road that the mission now owns, to where students come. And about 90 people will be there on any given week or any given session missionaries, students, professors, translators, and short term workers. There to work to help people learn. There's classrooms there and there are three or four classes going on at any given time. These last two weeks while we were there, there were three courses being taught. New Testament 2, which was Romans through Revelation, Introduction to Counseling, and Church Growth and Church Health, which is the one I was teaching so what did we learn? What did we see about God as we were over there for these last few weeks? Well, everyone who win is actually going to come up here and tell you a little bit of what they saw. One snapshot, one picture, one insight, one truth. But before they come, I want to point out two things that are just sort of in general. And the first thing is the team that we were privileged to be a part of. Because it wasn't just four people from ACC. ACC we actually arrived and joined a larger team. There was 40 plus people there to serve these leaders from across the former Soviet Union. And there were people from all over the US there that we got to work with and get to know and become friends with. But it wasn't just even that team. The team was actually made up of nine people from nine different countries. And so there were people from all of these countries who joined with us and together we made that team. And so we were beside people from Bulgaria and Moldova and the Ukraine and Russia, and they were working right beside us. And I know the team was blessed as we just got to be a part of this, because that's how big God is. He doesn't just need people from Minnesota. He's using people around the world. And, of course, we were there for the students. And so one more map of just where the students were from. That we were working with. These are all people who are already working in churches. They're not in a sense that we think of college students. They're already working in the churches. And wanting to learn more. To be better workers in the churches. So there were people there from Bulgaria and Romania. Moldova, the Ukraine. Czech, Poland. Belarus. Estonia, Russia. Georgia, Abkhazia. And Iran. Iran. And again, I just share that as sort of a general introduction because you start to see how big our God is. He's already in all those countries. He has churches in all those countries. He's at work there. And we just got to be a little piece of helping those churches, those people of God who are already there. And so I wanted to ask the others who went to help me. What we saw, what God showed us in some way, little thing, big thing, doesn't matter. So three people are going to come, and first I want Kathy Groan to come. I captured this picture of Kathy. She went and worked in the kitchen, and as well as a lot of other things.
1: Well, what I came back with... Um... The scripture that um, I would like to just read, it sums up my thought, was Romans 1.12, and it says, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, to be mutually encouraged by each other. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, um, it talks about we're supposed to build each other up to encourage each other and when i was there it was you could you saw that it wasn't just us from the us we were there working together we were building each other up but is those students that came there from all walks of life from all countries and they wanted that there are so many that are from uh, muslim countries surrounded by muslim countries they don't have the the freedom that we have and we take so much for granted a church on every corner christians to come alongside you very easily and so that was i think the one of the biggest things and one of the students from poland before he left he said it's not just the classes Yes, they came and they're studying and they're, and they're going to take this information and what they study to their own people and work to build their churches. But he says it's the fellowship. It's the encouragement and the strength that they get from us when we're there. So that uh, was probably the most impacting to me. And uh, to know that they're, they're out there and they're a part of the world um, working to expand the gospel of God, and some in fear and in, in troubling situations. But it was just amazing to be a part of that. So.
0: Okay, uh, Paul Myers was the second one who went, and uh, normally maintenance at House Adelweiss isn't that big a deal. But they're actually doing demolition on a whole building. So Paul stretched his muscles this last week.
2: What God taught me, or what was reinforced to me, is uh, even though we uh, come from many different countries and uh, many different peoples, we still worship the same God. Uh, it was impressive. No matter with. People were praying for uh, meals, or around the campfire, or the communion service, and they were speaking in uh, many different languages that we couldn't understand. We were all worshiping the same God. Uh, I'm going to read from Ephesians two seventeen. It says, "He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access." to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building is being joined together, and they rise to become a holy temple to the Lord, and in whom you too are being built become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. Even though there was many countries and many languages, we all serve the same God.
0: And uh, last, but of course not least, uh, my wife joined us this time and so Peggy's going to share too.
3: This was not my first time at House Edelweiss, but um, I reflected a lot about all of the times that I have been there, as well as our children. And uh, as we went, often uh, a mission trip um, can seem very exciting, it is exciting. Going to Austria can seem very glamorous. And um, the work at TCM that we did is in a way unique for a mission trip. But as the days went on, we worked hard. And it was easy to stop and watch Paul sweat. He worked hard. And Kathy and I were in the kitchen. And um, every day, we cut up tomatoes. And we cut up cucumbers. And we cut up oranges. And we made hot dishes. And we made salads. And it was just day after day, and then we cleaned it all up, and we started again. And sometimes there's, uh, it's easy to think about these things, the mundane work that we did. It really was. And sometimes, as perhaps you might not believe this, but there were times when other people in the kitchen got on our nerves. <laughs> yes? And it, sometimes it might be easy to say, why am I here? Why am I doing this? What has this got to do with mission work, with God? But then, after fixing all the food, we took it out and sat around the tables. And we got to hostess or host a table at the meals to make sure that everyone was well-fed. But at the same time, we were well-fed by hearing the stories from the students and the work that they do Um, we each had a prayer partner and my prayer partner happened to be the man from iran which was a little unnerving and we learned that there is persecution there and we learned that he is afraid and not just him but we sat across from people from other countries who one, one gentleman who sat at my table quite often was from Ukraine, and he's a physical therapist. But he had taken a week off to come there to take a New Testament course so that he could go back and be more effective in his church. And all of that made me start thinking. And I chose the verse from Ephesians that says, Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each of you for whatever good they do. And I thought about that verse, and I thought about the tomatoes and the cucumbers and everything that we cut up, and I thought, we were doing that for the Lord because we were providing for those people to have a week of rest and be able to study so that they could take their work back to their place in the world. But then I thought also about Andover Christian Church, and I thought about those of you who are so involved in Family of Promise, and VBS, and the Children's Program, and on and on and on. And if our work is done unto the Lord, whatever it is, it is a very good thing that we are doing for our God in this world.
0: I, I want to tell a couple stories that touch me about how big God is. I, I want to add one detail for you because so everything adds up. Of all the students who come here to uh, come to the house to learn, I would say 20% or less are paid for their ministry. And that's due to the economies of where they live and their churches. There's just not enough money to pay a salary. And so, v- virtually all of them except beyond a few, have full-time jobs, physical therapists. Um, they're doing full-time jobs, then they're doing full-time ministry, and then they're taking care of their families. And that's just the reality they know. They've no, never known anything different. They don't feel sorry for themselves. But so you'll find out, you have to ask what the actual job is because they'll talk about their ministry. And then you have to say, okay, but what do you do as your job? And then they'll say, oh, I'm a physical therapist. But their focus is their ministry and then they just do that in the evenings and weekends uh, because they have to support their families. Um, I want to tell you two stories. Um, The first is about a place that you probably would not pass on a geography bee, and that's Abkhazia. I I confess I love geography, but I had to look this one up Um, because up until about 20 years ago or less, it wasn't a country. And still today, it's debatable whether it is. But Abkhazia is over at the far end of the Black Sea. And it was actually a part of the country of Georgia. And about 10 or plus years ago, there was a civil war in Georgia. And Russia got involved, and they helped Abkhazia leave Georgia with a whole lot of fighting and tanks and deaths. And so today, Abkhazia is, from their perspective, a free country. Um, Google Earth still shows it as part of Georgia because of politics in the world stage. But the reality is it's a separate country now. And I had three students, when I taught in Moscow, I had three students, uh, Philip, Andre, and Pavel, who are from Abkhazia, which is what made me look on Google Earth and say, where in the heck is Abkhazia? And they told me their story. And those three had traveled for two days by train to just come and take the class. And then they traveled by train two days back to get home. But the lesson I learned, which is one we really don't like, but it's a lesson we need to learn about our God, and that is He doesn't fix everything right away. We want Him to. We pray for that. And when He does, we're just thrilled. And when he doesn't fix everything right away, we wrestle with that. And the story I want to tell you about these three guys is that's where they're at right now. Because the Abkhaz- these guys are actually Russian Christians who've lived, their families have lived in Abkhazia for several generations. So they're not Abkhazians. Abkhazians are pictured gypsies who've now been given the country and they've taken over. And Abkhazia is a mess. It's a mess of corruption. It's a mess of no jobs. It's it's a mess as this people who've never had their own country are trying to figure out how to have a country. And so as these guys talked about their situation, there was no good news right now. They struggle, their churches struggle to just hold on. And yet they came two days at their expense um, because they want to learn how to help the church be stronger. And I wasn't able to help them have a bunch of answers to take back and we're going to fix this overnight or anything like that. there's not a story right now to make this this nice fairy tale. But there's a reality there that God is moving, but we don't always see that right now. And there's times we sit in a very difficult space and we think, God, are you there? God, are you listening? And he does, and he is. But we may not see it now in any way other than that he's with us and helping us hold on and endure. And, and I saw that. In these three guys. Now what gives us hope and what gives them hope? Well for that we need to go to the second story. But I don't want you to forget them. Because I know here there's times we wonder, well how big is God? Because I'm in the midst of something maybe that's really tough. Or something bad's happening. Why didn't God protect me? Or why didn't God bring healing? Or we prayed for this and God hasn't fixed it yet. Just how big is God? And those waiting times are tough. And they were tough for people in the Bible, and they're tough for us. But God is doing something in his time and his way, and it's not always our time and our way. And that's when he says, I need you to trust my heart. I need you to trust I love you. And I haven't abandoned you. I won't abandon you. Trust me. And these three guys and their churches are doing that. And they're being faithful while they wait and see if God can do something. Well, that was those guys. But that brings me to a verse that we read all the time, but I saw it for real on this trip. We quote Romans eight twenty eight. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That is a promise. That is a reassurance. And we need to hold on to it. But it is cool to see how God does that sometimes. And for this story, I learned it from the man who was Preggy's prayer partner. And he is from Tehran, Iran, the capital of Iran. He was the green star to the far lower right. And I'd actually met him a couple years ago when I was there teaching and he was back. But he told a little bit more about his story this time that just struck me so powerfully. Um, He is a minister of about ten churches in Tehran. I would never dream there are Christian churches in Tehran. There are. They're allowed to continue to exist because these people became Christians several generations ago. And the Iranian, the Muslim Iranians just sort of tolerate them with varied degrees of persecution. He said that this last year or two has been the roughest of his life and ministry. It has been very bad for them as churches. And he didn't like to talk about it much, but the little details he would give us, it was really bad. Part of the reason it was really bad was this man. He has been the president of Iran for two terms. I think six or eight years. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. I love Jay Leno because he always pronounces this. I'm a nutcase. <laughs> and there's some reason for that. Um, Ahmadinejad hates Americans. Hates anybody who is not his brand of Islam. Um. He says the Holocaust was made up, and Israel should be wiped out, and he is the one who has been driving Iran's acquisition of nuclear weapons. And because he is such a nutcase, that's what terrorizes everybody if they should get them. Well, in that process, he is an extreme fundamentalist Muslim and has made life very difficult for the Christians there. But if you talk to Sargus and ask him about this, what he said this time that was so powerful for me is don't feel bad for us. Because God has used this man to bring a whole new generation of Christians into our churches. So if you want to see Romans 8, 28, how God can use this man to evangelize. And he explained what happened. Is that by his very radicalness, he turned off so many young Iranians. They said, if this is Islam, I want nothing to do with it. This can't be God. Not this way. And so they began searching for a god who was different. And he said their churches now have a whole new generation of young Christians brought to them by him. And when I heard him talk about this, I thought, "What a truth of Romans 8:28." In all things, our God is so big, he can work for good if we just love him. And these Christians in Iran love God and are just trying to be faithful. I had talked to Sargus three years ago, and I said, how long are you going to be able to minister? And he said, I, I never know. I could be thrown in prison at any time or killed. I just work while I can. That's the voice of someone who just loves God and says, I'll work as long as you let me. And God has said, let me bless you all. And now this guy is actually gone. The Iranians followed their government and he could not serve a third term. And there has been a new one elected who is actually, to everyone's surprise, a moderate. And is changing his rhetoric and how he's talking. And it's too early to tell, but it seems like we may have a new generation of Christians who have more freedom to be Christians. And how God will use them, we don't know. But we know how big God is. When I heard that story, I just was blown away. We've got a minute, so one more I'm going to throw in and just sort of wing it here. We got to talk to another couple who'd been in, we have, Katie right now is in northeast China, Katie Adams. We got to visit with an American couple who had just spent quite a bit of time in northwest China. And one of the stories they told us, because the church in China is thriving. If if you're not aware of that, you need to know. China is now, it's estimated, the most populous Christian nation on earth. And that's without... Church buildings are all the things we need, we think we have to have. It's house churches. And the evangelism that's happening in China in the house churches is just like wildfire. And the communists don't know what to do about it. But these Americans were up visiting Christians in northeast China. And if you like history like me, Marco Polo developed something called the Silk Road. And it was the first time trade from Asia went across over to Europe. And it became a huge caravan route. And you can still go the Silk Road. It's a series of roads. But for hundreds of years, it was a huge trade route. And here's what the Christians in China are now planning. They're saying, you know, we watch what's happening in Central Asia. And it's turning Islam, Islamic. And we watch what Europe is so Godless. And we realize we've got to train missionaries in China to send the good news along the Silk Road like we once sent spices. Because they need Jesus way more than they need spices. So we in China are training missionaries so we can start sending them along the Silk Road. That's how big our God is. He is at work. And I'm like you. On any given day, I can look in a little bitty spot, my life, my city, and I say, God, what are you doing? Are you doing anything? Are you up there? But I want you to know he is up there. And he is very busy, and nothing can stop him. He can wreak desolations against anything that stands against him. And the mightiest army he can destroy. That's our God. And he's that big here. And that's what I hope you'll hear from this. Your life, your home, this church, this city, that's our God. And just as much as he wants to work in Abkhazia and Iran, he wants to work here. And if we can turn to him and let him into our lives and just love him and watch what he can do, it is beyond what we can imagine. Just like using a crazy anti-Christian ruler to evangelize. We want to close today with a, not close, but end the sermon, with a song. Because it's Russian. Last Sunday, we were in worship, and worship at House Edelweiss is wonderful because the students lead it. Not the missionaries and not the Americans. And so the students get together and put together this mixed worship that will have some Bulgarian and some Russian and some Moldovan and, and all kinds of things in it. And half the time, you're just listening because you don't have a clue. But it's beautiful and wonderful. Well, we're singing along, and they're leading a medley of songs. And suddenly, there's a song that was really a nice song. And all of us Americans are whispering, which I know you shouldn't do. But we're like, have you heard that? Have you heard that? Have you heard that? And we're all like, no, 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 no. So afterwards, we go up to the worship team and like, what's up with this? And they said, well, it's one of our choruses. And we liked it. And so we want to teach it to you. Um, In English, not in Russian. Okay? Um, But uh, it fits today because it's just a simple chorus of praise to God because of how great He is, how big He is. And so if the team wants to come on up, and we're going to, we have an MP3 of it in Russian. So I want you to listen to a little bit of it. Because it also gives you a little flavor of the worship last Sunday that we got to be a part of. And then uh, we'll listen to a little bit of the song and then fade it out. And then we want you to join us and sing it. You'll find it's very simple. And I hope it blesses you, especially when you know the story behind the song. So um, if you guys want to start playing it.